the business of sharing medical advice, but we are in the business of connecting people and sharing our experiences with the hope of helping others. Information shared in this podcast represents the perspectives of the speakers and contributors. It does not constitute medical advice and is not an official recommendation of the Patient Advisory Council or Improved Care Now. Welcome to the Impact Podcast by the Patient Advisory Council, aka the PAC, where we will be talking about inflammatory bowel disease or IBD to increase awareness and inclusivity while connecting with you, each other, and our guests. So hi everyone and welcome again to the Impact Podcast. I'm Elise and I'll be your host today and we're going to be talking a little bit about self-advocacy and the pediatric to adult transition. We have Sam Thus here today and Seth and I'm just going to let them uh, take over. Sammy's going to talk a little bit about her, um, her experience with transitioning and her um, experience with advocacy as she is now a doctor as well. So I think it'll be a really fun conversation to have today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Seth and Elise. I'm really excited about this. I am Sammy, she said. I am first and foremost, a person with inflammatory bowel disease. I was diagnosed when I was 14 years old with ulcerative colitis. So I'm going on about 13 years with the disease now. And I am one of the original Patient Advisory Council members. I joined the PAC when I was about 19 years old in 2012. And I ended up becoming a co-chair of the Patient Advisory Council for about two and a half years from around 2013 to 2015. And after that, I went to medical school and I am now in my pediatric residency to become a pediatric hospitalist and have had the privilege of getting to take care of several children with IBD, which has really brought things full circle for me. And uh, just looking back on all of it, the PAC played such a huge role in getting me to this point in my life. So I'm super grateful for it. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Seth, do you want to introduce yourself? And yeah, Sure. So I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in, in sixth grade. Uh, I joined the pack about eight months ago, I think. And, um, and I'm really excited to talk about uh, patient advocacy. Yeah. So for any background for me, I'm Elise. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 14, but or actually 13, but I was very sick from uh, the time I was nine and I just had a hard time getting diagnosed and was bouncing around from doctor to doctor. But I just recently joined the PAC a few months ago and I recently spoke at the conference with Seth about advocacy and different healthcare settings and um, social settings, school settings. So. It'll be really interesting to hear everyone's different perspectives on how they've advocated for themselves. But let's start off with Sammy and how, uh, and her advocacy journey throughout um, high school, college, medical school, how she implements it now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I think I'm starting to become 
an expert in a few things and self-advocacy is one of those things that is really tough because it's different for everyone. So I'm just gonna say before we launch into this topic that it looks different for everyone and that there is no right or wrong way to advocate for yourself. It's certainly something that I am still figuring out for myself every single day. Um, and that I really actually struggled with both as a pediatric patient and when I first transitioned to adult care. Um, I, I used to joke when I joined Improved Care Now and like you guys just did last month, I participated in the Improved Care Now conferences and we would occasionally, we being myself and Jenny and Jill, who were my co-leads at the time, we would have physicians come up to us and say, we wish our patients were like you. We love the patient advisory council, but we don't know who to recruit. We wish we had a Sammy K at our center. And it was so strange for me to hear that because I would think, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I kind of fell into that role. It's a whole separate story of how I got into the pack, but I really just fell into the role. And I joked that I don't know if they would recognize me if they saw me at my doctor's appointments because I was pretty shy at my doctor's appointments. I had an incredible family who was really good at advocating for me. So I never really had much that I needed to add or that I felt like I needed to say for myself. And so I really felt like I had these two personas going on. The persona of me that was really, really good at advocating for other people, or at least wanted to be really good at advocating for other people. And then the persona of me behind the scenes who kind of just felt like she was coasting along in her care and everything was okay and I didn't have much to say anyways. So I think that's an important point to make that it can be a totally different skill set to advocate for other people, which is still something I'm probably better at, and to advocate for yourself as a patient. Yeah, that's definitely interesting to hear because I always felt for me, advocating was very different, especially I also had a family that was super good at advocating for me. I probably wouldn't have been diagnosed if it wasn't for my mom just keeping pushing doctors to do the tests that they didn't want to do and uh, to keep uh, me healthy, honestly. And then I also think another part of it was I had a doctor or my current doctor right now also kind of taught me how to advocate for myself. And she really encouraged me to speak up for myself. And she offered me, or I went and shadowed her for a few summers. So I would always talk to her patients as well and just like get to know a bunch of different people. And I think that's a big part of it is that once you start meeting more people that are like you and the respect that you have suffered through something similar, it brings you closer together and it made me a little bit more open about talking about it and knowing how I wanted to advocate for myself. That is awesome. And I'm really glad that you had a physician that encouraged you to advocate and taught you how to advocate because I kind of had the same thing. I had a, a resident physician, so the same role that I am now, who I met about a day after my diagnosis while I was still in the hospital. And I don't know that we talked about how I could advocate for myself in particular, but she very openly disclosed to me that she had a diagnosis of Crohn's and all of the things she had done in her life and that she went to medical school and was in residency. 
And I hadn't even gotten to the point of thinking yet how my disease would affect my life, but it removed the possibility of me thinking that I would be limited from doing things as crazy as entering a career in medicine, which seemed like a super lofty goal in my 14 year old mind. So that was really powerful to me to have that role model and something that now as a physician, I try to do the same, um, you know, in circumstances where it feels right, I will also disclose to patients. Being very careful to say that everyone's experiences are different, trying not to get caught too much in the weeds of what worked for me, what doesn't work for me because they may have an entirely different course, but just setting that precedent that this is going to be a part of your life, but not all of your life. And in fact, it can be a really, really small part of your life. And that is part of advocacy is it starts with your acceptance. It starts with your belief or lack of belief that this is something that you can handle. And not only that, you can kind of rock. Yeah, definitely. I understand that completely. I mean, I honestly think, yeah, like sometimes I have those feelings where I'm like, yeah, Crohn's, it's, it's a lot to handle sometimes and I get so overwhelmed and frustrated. But then there's other times where I've definitely done something with my disease and made it something that's a positive experience for me. And I don't know, I just feel like you can do so much with it too. Like, like you went to become a doctor, I'm actually going to physician assistant school. So that really my doctor and like the experiences I had there really um, inspired me to go and help people. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, and I honestly think that that like advocating and taking almost like the rocking the disease, as you said, um, is, is part of, it helps your care. If you feel like you have an aspect of control and if you're advocating for yourself, you, you feel better because you're, you're more in control and your mental health improves and your views that you can, uh, you can continue with this disease really all improves with advocating for yourself. Exactly. And so as I went through pediatric care from that point on, as I said, I really became an advocate for others before I became an advocate for myself. There was, you know, me finding improved care now and thinking, oh yeah, I want to help other kids, but I never thought about being a stronger voice for myself. And at that point in my disease, fortunately, I was doing really well. I was in remission. I didn't have much to advocate for myself for. And then I went to college, I stayed involved in ICN, again, pretty smooth sailing. And I stayed with my pediatric physician until I was honestly about to enter medical school. I was 21 or 22 when I transitioned, just the way that I was living in a state for college where there weren't a lot of IBD specialists available. And so it made the most sense for me at that point in my life to continue commuting back home and seeing my pediatric IBD doctor when I would be home on various breaks from college. And so I had the interesting experience of transitioning to adult care at the same time that I was starting my journey as a medical student and really in the process of becoming a provider myself. And unfortunately, that was about the same time within a year or so of when my physical health started to decline a little bit. And I started to have problems that were 
related to my IBD, but not really my typical IBD symptoms. And it took about three years from that point for me to get diagnosed with gallbladder disease and have my gallbladder ultimately taken out. But for most of medical school, I was a little bit of a medical mystery. And it took me uh, two adult gastroenterologists to really get a diagnosis. And that first adult gastroenterologist that I had, I was suddenly in the position of really needing to advocate for myself because I didn't feel like I was understood or heard as easily as I was when I was in the pediatric setting. And it felt like there was a rush of resources coming toward me at any given time. The adult system I really just felt like just another patient. And once it was clear that I was not in an IBD flare, really this passive sense of, oh, well, you'll be okay. Just give it some time. Maybe you should drink more water. Maybe you should eat a healthier diet. Um, you know, I was a skinny early 20 something female in medical school. So maybe I should calm down my stress level a little bit. I had all these sort of vague suggestions thrown out at me and I started to feel not just unable to advocate for myself because I had never really needed to, but also really disempowered. And I felt like hmm, maybe I was a fraud for all these years that I was advocating for others. You know, maybe I am the root cause of all of my symptoms. Maybe I'm a little melodramatic at the core. And I really lost a ton of confidence, which again was happening during a point in my life where I was building confidence and taking care of other people. I think, like you said, Elise, exactly what turned it around for me was meeting other people again, right? So reaching out to those people I had met with an improved care now reading the stories of other young adult patients with inflammatory bowel disease and even other GI conditions on the internet and realizing that it was not only okay for me to disagree with a physician, but that it could help my care and be beneficial to my doctor for me to do that as long as I did it in a respectful way. And that was life-changing for me because I had grown up in a culture where doctors were the experts and you didn't question the doctor. And I think I had seen my mom maybe challenge my doctor respectfully on a couple occasions, but it was pretty rare. Um, when I was first diagnosed, it was a given for me that the doctors always knew what to do. The doctors were always gonna fix me no matter what trouble I got into. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of experience with that one. I mean, I was diagnosed in 2014 and I remember just bouncing around from doctor to doctor because there was obviously something wrong with me, but no one could figure it out or they would come up with different reasons that didn't really fit. They fit one category, but didn't really fit a different category. Like I was always, I was, wasn't gaining weight. I wasn't growing. I was sleeping like almost the full day. Like I would go to school and then just go to sleep. That was my whole entire life. And they would find, it would, all my diagnosis would be, it'd be like, oh, you have a food allergy that explains your GI symptoms, but I would eliminate that, but the symptoms would come back. And then it was, you're, you're deficient in growth hormone. That's not why you're not growing, but yeah, you're not addressing the stomach pain with that. There's a lot of things that with, especially with GI disorders, I think 
that are very difficult to weed out with diagnosis. And I've especially felt this, um, that it's just difficult to, especially in pediatrics too, when you are trying to advocate for your kid or you're trying to advocate for yourself, but it's, there's always been a culture for me too, that, oh, well, what the doctor says goes because they went through all this training and they know what's best for you. So you have to listen to what they're saying, but at the end of the day, if you're doing everything they're saying and nothing's working, what's the next step? Absolutely. And it's something that I see from the other side now. I don't think it, for the most part, is that doctors are bad or they don't care. But nine times out of 10, when you encounter belly pain, if not more, it's not going to be anything that is a chronic illness or is life-changing. But you can easily miss the times that it is if you don't ask the right questions, if you don't listen to the patient, if you don't have that willingness inside you to say, I don't know, but let's work together to figure it out. And that can be really hard. I think it's hard for any human to say, I don't know, but it's really important for doctors to be able to say that rather than jump to conclusions or put labels on patients that may not necessarily fit what that patient is experiencing. And as a patient, one of the things I really, really respected about my second adult gastroenterologist was that she was willing to say, I don't know what's going on, but let's try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll come back together and meet and we'll figure it out. And that's exactly what we did. But in order to get to her, I had to overcome that fear inside myself that said I was a bad patient. I was so hesitant to even switch to a new doctor because I knew I would have to ask for my records from my current physician. And even though I knew I wouldn't even need to interact with that physician to do so, I thought, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to wonder why I'm leaving? Is he, is that, does that make me a bad patient? Am I the one who is giving up or jumping ship. I was so stuck in my head over all of this. And it really took my family to pretty much force me and say, we're worried about you. You need to do this. But it was a very stressful process. But again, I found that fit that worked for me. So I think if you take away one thing from this podcast episode, I would want it to be that it's okay if the first time that you transition your care um, or transfer your care, I should say, because transition is the process leading up to the point of transfer. Transition is something that starts when you're diagnosed. Transfer is when you actually move. If you transfer your care to a physician that you've heard great things about is at you know, a great place and you just don't have that fit, that doesn't make it your fault. It doesn't make it the doctor's fault necessarily either. It just means there's not a good fit. And not only is there nothing wrong with choosing to go to another physician, but that can be something that you can be really proud of yourself for. Yeah, I think that you've brought up some really great points there with um, transitioning because it can be difficult. And I think a lot of people get stuck on the fact that we do have the ability to pick our doctors. And if we don't like someone, like second opinions are so important you just like, and that ability to trust someone and have a doctor sit you down and have you involved in the diagnosis or have like that really listens to you really does make a difference. So 
going off of that, uh, Sammy, how has your experience with IBD and like going through the transfer and um, seeing how doctors have interacted with you like impacted the way you're interacting with your current patients? It's definitely made me really interested in what we call systems issues in medicine. And so systems issues refer to ways that the medical system impacts how I as a physician can give you care and how you as a patient can receive care. An example would be, as you said, Elise, we've both had the opportunity or will have the opportunity probably to switch doctors if we don't have that good fit. But some people either due to having a lack of insurance coverage or good insurance coverage or based on what area of the country they live in and their access to subspecialists might not have that choice. And so it's made me interested in learning more about healthcare policy and healthcare advocacy and being able to advocate for those marginalized groups of people who deserve the same options in their healthcare and the same flexibility in their healthcare. I think it also calls up talking about racial bias and gender bias in healthcare, which are, I think we like to believe in whatever specialty we are in. So for me, that's pediatrics, less common where I work, but it happens everywhere. We know that women and girls sometimes receive unequal care to men and boys for the same presenting complaint, um, not because they have any less serious a medical problem, but it goes back to the days of hysteria in medicine where um, hysteria was this name used in the early 20th century for ungovernable emotional excess in females that was uh, blamed for, in many cases, very real physical ailments. And so understanding those issues has been a huge part of my journey in medical school and residency, pediatric advocacy, again, using that journey for me that went from advocating to others to advocating to myself to now back to advocating for others, whether it's in settings like this, where I now get to be what Sarah, that resident was to me, a mentor to other um, young adults and teens with IBD like I was, but also on the systems level. So I'll be attending next week, the American Academy of Pediatrics National Advocacy Conference and meeting with lawmakers and congressmen and women and talking about some of the issues in pediatric medicine that affect the kinds of care that a child or a teenager even has access to. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you bring up policy because I know that a lot of people, like especially with who have chronic illnesses, definitely feel like, especially with accommodations and getting the right support you need, whether it's in school or at your job, it can be a little bit difficult. And there are people that go out there. I don't know if you know about Ali's Law that gives you the card that you can't get denied at um, like retail stores if you need to go to the bathroom. I think stuff like that is important to talk about that just because it's not law now, that doesn't mean that you can't change it in the future. If there's a problem, there can be a solution with that. Allie was definitely one of my heroes when I was a teenager and I read about Allie's Law. So if you are listening to this and you don't know who Allie is, definitely Google Allie's Law. Allie was a teenager around the same time that I was and she advocated for a law that would allow 
anyone with a medical diagnosis of a bowel concern to be able to use a public restroom, let's say in a store. Because prior to that, she had had experiences of having an emergency due to her IBD in a public restroom and being told, you don't work here, you can't use this bathroom and having very uncomfortable experiences of either merely not making it to the bathroom on time or just not making it to a bathroom on time. So she inspired me, but then I was inspired. I remember there was an Australian um, young filmmaker. She must've been no older than 18 who made a video for an Australian film competition that was a short film about her experience with Crohn's disease. I don't think it got a very wide audience and I can't remember how I found it, but I still have that video saved on a YouTube playlist of something that really resonated with me. The way that she described her disease, the way that she described how it felt to have that as a piece of her, that really informed my narrative about my own experience. And so I think it's important to remember when we're talking about advocating for others and being a role model for others, yes, you can do that on the national stage. You can become a part of the ICN National Patient Advisory Council and have that opportunity. But sometimes advocacy is just reaching out to a friend and saying, hey, I care about you and how can I help you? And this is my experience. I want to help you feel the same way and have the same confidence that I now feel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of funny for me because I didn't join ICN until I'm, I think I'm like seven years into my diagnosis by now. Um, but I actually had like, I was doing so well. And then I went to college similar to you medical school where I wasn't doing well um, when I transitioned to college. And I had neighbors that knew about uh, my Crohn's disease. I was always very open about it. And it ended up that someone down the hall from me also had Crohn's disease and was struggling. And we kind of teamed up together and kind of went to accommodations and were like, listen, like we're struggling. Like you need to help us with like meal plan or something because we were both getting really sick from meal plan. And I think that's another thing too, is that being open allowed me to find someone and help me advocate. And we kind of teamed up and sometimes having someone there with you um, to advocate is helpful because both of us didn't really know what we wanted to do yet. And like, we weren't sure if it was just us or if it was um, like us individually getting sick or if it was some other confound that was causing us to get sick. But I think it was just helpful to like have someone. And even now, like I'm not even great friends with this kid. And every time I see him, he's like, hey Crohn's buddy, like you okay? you like I just wanted to check in on you and I'm like oh like perfect I have someone that gets it like we always check in on each other we're on the same medication so we kind of understand what's going on in each other's lives so I think it's always good to have someone too that's like even at school I had in high school my English teacher knew I had Crohn's and she's like I think you should talk to someone about this I have an older student that has it and she, I think she would love to talk to you about it like I think having someone in your life that tells you like, oh, I think this would be really good for you because at the time in high school, I was not talking about this. It's, it was fairly new to me. I didn't know how people were gonna react to me saying I have a disease where I go to the bathroom a lot. And like that really was embarrassing for me at the start, but I think it's good to have someone too that's kind of removed from the situation and recognizes that you need help. And it's like, listen, 
I think it'd be really good for you. And that's another part of advocacy. Sometimes it's not always yourself. Sometimes it's someone telling you, you should get help. And I think that's a quality that we need to recognize. It's like when we need to listen to those people. And community is, is super important there, is that finding people who know your experience, because both it makes you more confident in, in what you know about your disease. And it also like seeing other people, uh, like when I joined the PAC eight months ago, seeing these people who were advocating on a national scale and going to conferences, I couldn't believe that was something that, that kids my age were doing. So just finding people and like seeing how they're taking control of their disease is really important to advocacy. So even, even if it's just that person down the hall or whatever at, at your college, that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Community is so important. And that community might change for you over time in terms of who makes up that village, but we all need a village. And it's one of the things I've also become passionate about in medicine is making sure that even the kids that look like they're doing all right, or the teens that look like they're doing all right, are reminded that it's okay to ask for help and reminded that there are resources. I was always the teenager who I think looked very well put together, had a great family, was doing well in school, as I said, was doing well in remission. And I think back and I look at these care centers that offer mental health check-ins and multidisciplinary visits with a social worker and a nutritionist and a expert in transition of care to their pediatric patients when they're getting close to the point of transfer. And I wish I had that. I think it would have helped me so much to normalize some of what I was going through, even though I looked like I was doing so well on the outside. Um, and oftentimes I felt like I was too, but that doesn't mean that you still don't benefit from having more resources, more of a village built up around you. So it's something I've tried to do. And then I've needed at points. Like when I went to medical school, I had a whole new set of challenges. I suddenly was in an environment where I didn't always have bathrooms accessible to me. And I was not sure how to navigate disclosure in a setting where uh, I didn't know how that was going to affect my professional career. And I ended up finding a family in a network called the Coalition for Disability and Health Science and Medical Education, which is a whole network of medical students with disabilities, physical disabilities, um, mental disabilities, and you know, really found this support network of recognizing how many doctors with disabilities are out there, which prior to entering medical school, I feel a bit silly. I didn't realize that there were so many other people like me. I had met Sarah, I knew she was out there. I had met one or two physicians within Improved Care Now who had disclosed to me that they had IBD. But outside of that, I didn't realize really how much diversity with regard to disability was in the field of medicine. And again, that became really empowering to me and a huge support system for me when I ended up having two surgeries within six months of starting residency and was thinking, how am I gonna do this? How am I going to get back on my feet? Um, and again, I ended up getting C. diff as an infection during my first year of residency and 
just to have this feeling of I'm not alone. I'm going to get back on my feet. Other people have been through this before. That was so powerful for me and helped lift some of the burden off of me. Great. That's great. I think we're running out of time. So thanks everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed our podcast. Thank you. Thanks. If this content resonates with you, we encourage listeners to learn more about Improved Care Now and the PAC at improvedcarenow.org, where you can sign up to join the PAC, the parent working group, and join our circle.